part of the world, yes, greetings and kind regards, and for those who are not in the FCT, it is really brimming in uh, storms and rainfall, it's looking really dark, cloudy and cloudy right now, Uh, but it's good, it's good, some people will say we need some rainfall to wash away all the misery and all the bad stories and all the aches and pains that we have seen in the past couple of weeks, but uh, one of the most important things is to thank God for our lives, so we're alive today, kicking it, and we're still here uh, you know, well and hearty is still our country, Nigeria. You're welcome to talk to Adora. My name is Adora. I always do this with you every Tuesday by four. Hello, everyone on social media. First of all, I will not, you know, start this show without saying thank you to my Kiss FM family. Um, you guys rock. I mean, like, you just embarrass, you had to embarrass me now with all those, uh, you know, happy birthdays and happy birthdays and all those shows. I'm like, ah, if anybody else think is my 50th birthday or maybe my Jubilee, you know, but I, I thank God. I thank God for all of you. Thank you so much. It means so much to me. I appreciate I appreciate it. And to all my social media family, I don't know what I would have done without you. Your greetings were well encountered. Thank you so much for the wishes and the long life and, you know, keep doing better. Especially as it fell on June 12th. You know, someone said, and you had to go and be born on that day. You know, I hope you're not troublesome. I'm like, hey, no, you see me. I want to come in peace. So thank you, guys. Thank you so much. I appreciate. And um, and I I thank you so much for coming with me on this journey of my life. So far, so good. At least I have you people there uh, keeping strength for me. And yes, to my family and to everyone else. So I want to say a big thank you. And yes, uh, I remember that last week we had a very interesting topic. We had a, a state of emergency on rape highlighting uh, the different points of views. Uh, we had... Um, one of the very famous, you know, uh, activists and advocates uh, in Nigeria who started the walk and the march against, you know, SAS, the hashtag and SAS, Segalinks, like he's, um, you know, regularly called. And we also had Ang Lee, the uh, founder of Hair uh, Women Foundation. So uh, we, we, we really looked in between the lines. Uh, Segal said a lot of things, talking about uh, policy, talking about the law. But one of the most important things he, we went out with or went away with that day was the fact that he said, 
said, you know, one is a fact that, you know, no means no, and enough is enough. And seeing the 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 conversation at the National Assembly and the bill pass a second reading, it shows a show of strength that, you know, yes, leadership is actually beginning to sit up. But I hope that it is consistent. I hope that it is sustainable, um, not just for the period that we are national teeth and that we are angry, but that even beyond the call that, you know, institutions and systems will begin to look at this as a time bump. And um, it's still ongoing. Beyond that conversation, we've seen um, another set of, you know, girls being raped. Uh, it's, it's like we're just talking and no one's listening. Again, somebody's asking, where are these people from? Where, what, what, what is going on in their mind when all of this is going on? So um, it's, it's going to be a conversation that will be very much around until we get results for all of our advocacy. And I think that's what we're going to see. Remember to call 90 300 or 080-9998-7770. That's the number to call in uh, for the studio. And you can also reach us on all our social media handles. You know, talk to Adora on Twitter, talk to Adora on Facebook, and talk to Adora on Instagram. Today, uh, we're going to be taking it a little bit different, but still focusing on women. Uh, on June 12th, we had an interesting conversation uh, with two two important uh, guest speakers and um, that was done their webinar series called the Women in, Polit- Women in Parliament and Policy Development webinar series which I myself anchored in partnership with my co-host and partner uh, Order Paper Executive Director Epia Okay, and one of the things we looked at was the fact that um, the diminishing number of women in parliament and policy development was scary, considering that the fact, one, you look at that, we have over 7.7 billion people in the world. I mean, that's the world population. Africa takes 1.3 billion of that population, Kida. And then you are looking at a, a continent that has 18.2% of the world population. And then Nigeria, out of that 18.2%, now takes 207 million people. And you have 49.4 percentage of that population in Nigeria, women. And now you're looking at the parliament with just a meager number of just about seven to eight representatives at the, at the Senate. And maybe just about 11 at the House of Representatives or even less. And that's for a country that is seen as the strongest link for Africa in the whole of the continent and it is worrying and then you go down the ladder and you're looking at institutions public offices how many women are even permanent secretaries how many women are, are bank managers how many women are you know chairing boards how many women you know are ministers so these are the numbers that keep trickling so I think one of the things that you know is worrying for us now is that rather than doing better in the year 2020, we seem to be diminishing considering the fact that uh, the, the the deadline for measuring the equality or the equity, like I like to put it, gap for uh, the United Nations is for 20, is 2030. So we just have about, I mean, um, I'm going to bring Simon in here on this conversation. Uh, we just have about, you know, say 10 years down the line to meet that gap and see how we can equalize. Someone used the word there on social media. But is it a matter of equality, really, right now? Or equity? Because, you know, there seems to be a gap when people are talking equality and equity, Simon. How do we look at that conversation in terms of bridging the gap? Okay, so talking about bridging the gap, it's 
I think um, it's a systemic something for Nigeria, uh, especially here considering our climb. And it's no surprise that we're actually seeing this. This is evident in our country and in the system. You've mentioned the House of Reps, the Senate, and you can see the percentage of men to women ratio is actually actually so so terrible compared to other African countries like Rwanda and and the like. So it's a how should I call it? I think we inherited this patriarchal system. So we can't really blame the system for the way it is, but we can actually do something to change the status quo, to change is the there system. A political way? We've had that change the system. Exactly. Is now, there a political will, Simon. See, the point is if it is now being institutionalized and put in the constitution that certain percentage of seats in so 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 maybe in the lower chamber or the higher chamber goes to women now it gives room for women to get into politics and another thing is how many women even if you give them this position how many women are willing to you know volunteer themselves to step up and take that position you know a lot of women say politics is a man's job is a man's duty so let them do their thing it takes only few women with balls balls in quotes okay so you don't think it's another balls uh, women in balls with tennis balls to actually you know come out here and you know mind the aims of affairs so it's it's sometimes as much as we blame the system you know it's systemic sometimes we also need to tell women to come out there a lot of people are saying women that even if a woman decides to come out there's no funding for them there's no support uh you know talking about support a lot but even during elections the ratio of men i have not done this, the the research to know the ratio of men to women when they come for, come to vote to vote in and stuff i think men are always out there doing this women will just sit at home and relax so we are not putting the blame on women but i think it's about time besides making it legal and constitutional that certain seats are no, given to women i want to see it differently on the contrary because i know i participated in the 2019 elections and i have to take the seven and what we did see during the during the lineup for the voting in the morning mm-hmm. is that you will see that fine um we just have about one to 1.0 percent ratio in how many women we have much more than men in the whole of nigeria but it will interest you that at the rural level the mobilizers the activators of politicians and politics are usually the women and then when you get to the voting <laughs> the voting pattern mm-hmm. you find that there are more women they are the ones who drive out their sons they're the ones who drive out their husbands they're the ones who lead the team you know mm-hmm. to go to the voting lines the athletes are the one who vote more. Now, the the worry here is, could it be that the enabling environment, like you've mentioned quite a few things, you know, you talked about money, that funding, you talked about support, you talked about technical support. Now, could it be that, you know, beyond just going to cast the vote, you know, and looking at the capacity of the women who can come out to be voted for, that there is no enabling environment. Now, I'm asking this because you mentioned Rwanda. And we know that Rwanda had a tragic view from genocide, mm-hmm. post-genocide, you know, intentionality, intention intention to make sure that more women are involved in policy making. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think we're so focused here in Nigeria, the women, their conversation, they're so focused on the politics that they are not looking in between the lines, looking at the laws and the policies and how to champion and advocate those issues so that the politics can be correct. 
you know, just as I said earlier, it, I think it's for Nigeria, it's systemic. Uh, uh, although I mentioned other African countries that was seeing things like this work for them, you know, the policy making process. And I think women should, here in Nigeria, it's, I won't really say it's a problem. It's a problem, you know, basically for Nigerians, quote unquote. But the point is, for women to get into policy making, not even the act of politics itself. Mm-hmm. You know, th- there's politics and there's policy making. There are people who influence polit- policy makers. So women should even have an upper hand in doing things. One, because one, when we talk about influencing, women has they have a lot of influence. Women can actually attest to that fact. So if women can have such power and influence uh, at home, why can't they have such influence in policymaking and in politics? Whereas if we believe that politics in Nigeria is, is basically run by men, and who run the, the men? The women at home. So the point is, women can actually involve themselves in policy making in one way or the other. But our system, we just—I think—we just have to find a way to draft certain things into law and make it constitutional for women to to be able to do certain things. Is the institution ready for that? Are the institutions ready for that? I mean, um, you look at like the National Assembly when the um, Equal Genders Opportunity Bill came to throw it out the window. I mean, they said, "Oh, we already had a national gender policy. We need mm. to go trump it up and all of that." But I think the intention was very clear that they wanted to look at the narratives in between the line outside what was already being discussed. Mm. Now we do know the VAP Act. Not a lot of states have domesticated, but mm-hmm. it's, it, I mean, a, a lot of people know that those that policy is you know well in within its um, environment enough to help. You know, sort of curb the issue of based on sexual, mm. you know, gender-based violence. But some states have not thought it wise, for political reasons or the other, to activate and domesticate the VAP Act, and that's also worrying. Now, I mean, are the institutions really winning? I mean, you look at a country like uh, Kenya or even Ghana. Now, if you go through the municipalities or the counties, you find out that for every councillor there should be a woman. It was intentional. You know, you have leadership training at institutions that even do, you know, adult educations for women, even if it is based on skills and acquisition. I don't know what you think about this in terms of institutional gap. Do you think that the the civil society needs to be more aggressive, especially in terms of advocacy and what they are asking for? Uh, talking about civil society, they are actually the watchdogs at the moment. I, I, I must actually commend the, the most of the civil society groups in Nigeria. They've done a lot. Some of the policies we've seen passed are being pushed uh, you know, and funded by certain civil society organizations. I think as much as these guys are doing so well, trying to push uh, things like this, but they have always fought fought for things to be done. Uh, you need to understand something that civil society organizations are those standing away from they are there in the forefront of politics but they are not the one passing these policies or passing the laws all they need to do is lobby do one thing or the other to ensure that policies are being passed so if they keep pushing but the people at the ends of their affairs are not doing this who is to blame civil society organizations are doing their own job they're doing what they can they're trying to influence they're trying to lobby but it now behoves on those in power and those who are to take responsibility to do this it's one thing to push is another thing for this policies to be passed and then implemented and implemented so you won't blame the civil society organizations we're not blaming them we're just saying you know um, mm-hmm. you know left hand is the right 
Um, some people are asking for different things from different corners, but I think it's first down to the citizenry. I think it's down to the women themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, you can only get what you ask for, and you exactly. know, to whom much is given, much, much is, is expected. expected. Yeah. So, um, I don't know how many women are thinking politics, but I think for us here, uh, we're thinking policies, get involved in governance. You know, start from where you are, and um, let's do what we can. So. Taking it from that um, cliche, uh, Simon spoke about funding, which was one of the key conversations we had within our conversation on June 12, talking about the Women in Parliament and Policy Development webinar. We will be tracking that up soon for you to have a feel of what the conversation was about, and then we will be right back on the show. So you do stay with us, and remember, um, you know, it's about you. It takes you to actually contribute. If you do nothing about it, we stay like we are. Simple. Hello, you're welcome to the show today. Talk to Adora. My name is Adora Ngesha. It is a privilege always to have you here. And yes, to my guest, how are you feeling today? Hello, Adora. I'm great. I'm, I'm gay. Uh, you're, you're gay? Oh, my. You're coming out on live radio. Wow. No. I mean, you, you do know it's 14 years under the law and I, I don't want the police outside. No, come on, no, I mean I'm happy <laughs> Come on, Adora, no oh, oh, you mean you're happy Oh, oh, I see Talk to Adora No heating conversations, no bars held back Undiluted, dealing with real-life issues Conversations across the borders And it's about bringing you closer to the solution Talk to Adora It is raw, it is personal, it is deep it will leave you at the edge of your seat every Tuesday is 4 p.m. on Kisafi. Yeah, I use this opportunity to talk to us about um, why we are here, what we are trying to do, what we want to achieve. Um, there is this very familiar talk about gender equality or parity. And um, there is this also very familiar talk about uh, inclusion in the political process and policy process. What we want to do is not exactly to reinvent the wheel. We only just want to put a perspective to this ongoing conversation that is probably not getting sufficient attention. And so for us, um, the idea is to look at women, female participation in politics, which is what we are much more familiar with. And also introduce the perspective around participation in the policy process. We all can be in politics. We all can be elected senators, elected members of the House of Representatives. We all can be ministers. We all can be wives of presidents or wives of governors. You know, but is there a role that as females, as mothers, as sisters, as aunts, as grandparents that we can play in it? in the policy development process. So we know about politics as the authoritative allocation of value. But within that definition, there are roles that are sometimes not, you know, uh, they are not fully defined or they are not they are not formally defined, so to speak. You have people who are influencers in the political process. And sometimes we have very, very interesting uh, results from influencing. You know, so those wives of governors, those wives of chairmen of councils, you know, uh, those who are in uh, the back room, those who are aides to politicians and all of that. These are influencers, what roles are they playing as females in the political process? They were advocated for a long time around and about inclusion of women and participation of women in the political process. What additional value can we get those of us who are not just women, but those who are sympathetic, who are advocating for the cause of gender equality? What roles can we play as backroom operators to ensure that the right policies, to ensure that the right legislations, to ensure that the right initiatives are not just only uh, brought up but implemented. And so we thought that, you know, in putting this joint effort together, 
Uh, we should look beyond just, okay, we need more women in office. We need more women to be in the political process. We, we thought that it's necessary to see what value we can extract from those who are not overtly in the political process. They are not in your face, but they are heavy in terms of influencing. So that's the key perspective we are bringing into the conversation. That's why we call it Women in Parliament and uh, policy development. So, I mean, we think that this is novel, and we're happy that you are able to join us uh, in this first series. Uh, so I'm just going to let uh, my colleague and co-host, Adora, come back to the microphone. Uh, going to our focus today and our conversation, women uh, in, you know, in parliament and policy development, I think when we think and talk policy, what comes to your mind first, you know, uh, of course, uh, looking at, you know, issues within government that can, you know, expand conversations, perhaps in different platforms and different segments or different sectors. Today we're looking at politics and we do know that politics is the bane or the crooks of, you know, transformational uh, governance in Nigeria, so to speak. Uh, if you look at the economic transformation, if you look at social transformation, if you look at, you know, uh, you know transformational governance, the key word that most people will tell you that speaks in between the line uh, is politics. And, uh, you know, the question is, are we practicing the right kind of politics that will be productive in order to see a well-rounded economy, a well-rounded governance model, a well-rounded, you know, social structure? And those are some of the key, you know, conversations that are ongoing um, and have been highlighted, you know, over the time. And I think that for a lot of women, not just in Nigeria, but those who are looking inwards in Nigeria and studying the politics and the policy policy uh, environment, uh, some of the key question is, you know, how far so far? You know, um, this is 2020, 2019. Uh, we saw quite a dwindling number of more women, you know, at the Senate and, you know, less women at the House of Representatives and even far worse, you know, at the state assembly level. You know, you can, you, you have at least, you know, majorly looking at some of the states as much as 10, you know, to 11 states where you don't even have any you know, uh, legislator at the state level. Now, beyond election, you know, some some would say um, elective positions are just one of the many conversations and, you know, uh, enabling platforms for women to get into governance. We're also looking at policy-making institutions. We're also looking at policy sectors. Um, today, we are looking at the democracy of Nigeria uh, and counting, 21 years and counting. You know, and um, you, the key question is how democratic are our institutional settings, especially in gender engagement, especially in the enabling environment for women, and especially in, you know, governance model that accommodates women. So those are the key questions we should be asking. And if you look at far back, uh, when the conversation on democracy started. I mean, you look far back at the earlier members of parliament from Margaret Igbo to Fumilel, Ransom Kuti, etc., etc. And, you know, it, it's sort of worrying that what we have far back then uh, is not as different as we would have loved it to be today. Now, we started this, you know, tra trajectory um, way be, before some countries. I mean, you look at a country like Senegal, you look at a country like Rwanda, you look at a country like even Kenya and Ghana. And the question is, where, where is Nigeria with that conversation right now? And how do we move past 
you know, from conversations to activation. And that's what we are going to be looking at today. Um, we will we will leave a lot of room for thought processing and conversation uh, to our guest speakers because I know that they do have a lot to say. I believe that every institution, every sector uh, should be thinking mainstreaming gender. And it's not just because of women should have a voice. It is because first, women are human beings. And secondly, capacity and ability comes into play. So I believe that from this conversation, we're able to have a rounded understanding of what really it means to be one, you know, have a role in the politics and also be a voice and have a role in the policymaking agenda for women in Nigeria. Hello, Sarah. Good afternoon. It's good to have you with us today. Um, We're privileged. Thank you for always being, you know, that voice uh, that bridges the gap. Sarah is the uh, Nigeria director for the One Campaign, Sarah Maka Obabe, and she is right here. Hello, Sarah. Good to have you. Good to be here. Thank you, Adora. All right, Sarah. Now, I, I do know that in 2000, let, let me start a bit from, you know, your back end story. Uh, I follow the one champion, you know, in 2016 to 2017, where, you know, the one champion program for emerging leaders also focused on gender. And, you know, I know it started with about 20 people and then expanded to 50 to cover the geopolitical zones. Now, looking at that year, you would have thought that by 2019, the conversation would have had a little bit, you know, a detour from what we saw in 2015. But how far so far? 21 years of democracy. This is where we are now. How do you feel? First of all, I don't think we should start this without recognizing what um, OKPA said, which is the first June 12th Democracy Day. It's very um, it's very telling that on your birthday, we're having this conversation and also knowing your antecedents and all you have done for democracy in Nigeria. I want to applaud and honor you for that. So how do I feel was your question. The truth is that we see women participating in Nigeria very actively, only that it's in the social sector and not in the political sector. Um, the truth is that pre-colonial Nigeria had a lot more women activity. In fact, I dare say that we borrowed this patriarchal society from our colonial masters. We picked it up from the Victorian ages in the, U- in the UK at that time was very sexist. So of what a queen who they you know, serve, women didn't have a role. Women couldn't even vote. They weren't seen. They were kind of in the kitchen herd. And we, we substituted our own mechanisms, whether it's in the southwest or it's in the north or it's in the east, where women have representation, political representation. Um, some people argue that in the north um, there wasn't as much representation, but I argue that there was, there was a borrowing of culture from the Arabs who came in to colonize the north. So if we just strip all that colonization away, women actually had more of a voice than we're seeing women have, especially in political representation today. And that's actually quite unfortunate. For those who are watching, there's there's a great documentary by a young lady called Adironke Adeola. It's called Awani. And it chronicles Nigeria's pre-colonial history of women's participation. So I know that we come from good cultural stock. We, Nigeria, we had good cultural representative stock. Somehow we missed the road. So here we are today. Women are 51% of the population. The highest we've ever had for women participation in politics is 7%. In spite of Beijing that we decided that we were going to sign to, which requires 30%. 
the highest Nigeria ever had, and that was in 2007, was 7%. And why are we harping on the political realm? Why do we want to pay attention to that? It's because that's where everything happens. Everything happens in the political realm. If we don't get it in the legal policy landscape, we don't get it anywhere. So let's just be clear that it is not insignificant. Politics and representation and democracy is not insignificant. So here we are at, I think today we're, um, we're a little over 5% or a little under 5% in, in um, National Assembly representation and in appointed roles. And I think it's important to make a distinction. One is people who are voting people into elected officials and the other is appointments. So, you know, you get your name on a list and you, you, you get appointed to serve. So here we are in, 20, in 21 years of democracy and we seem to be regressing. So the question is, what are we going to do about it? Because I think that question is important. Women's political participation doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen anywhere in the world. Nigeria is not special. It didn't just happen in Britain. It didn't just happen in the US. It didn't just happen in Rwanda. Because Rwanda is the place we cite, the whole world cites. Rwanda is like an outlier. It's like 60% of women representation. It didn't just happen there. There are few critical ingredients that make it happen. And hopefully that's something we can talk about. How do we make this happen? Because unfortunately, we can't run, and it's it's not, you know, the gender argument, sometimes it feels like this feminist movement, rah, 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 you know, burn our bras. That's actually not it. It's not a, ah, you know, women want to just take over and they want to lord this thing over men and there's just energy. What it is, is that democracy is about representation and a more represented society. If there were 100% um, men in a society, and then 100% men and 50% of them were disabled, then the government should mirror what the society looks like. Only then can you make policies that actually fit your society. So in our case, we have 51% women and 49% men. Until there's representation, only then can we make policies that fit our society. If not, we have a skewed policy landscape and we'll see that our society will not progress. Sarah, I, I do also know, talking about what we can do about it, that you have, you know, over 14 years of, you know, global development experience. You've worked in different countries, you know, including the United States and Afghanistan. Um, now, and some other African countries, even, even Kenya. Now, I mean, Nigeria is, is a very dynamic country. Uh, what works in Rwanda might not work here. What works, you know, in other parts of the world might be different in narrative here. Now, talking about what we can do about it, looking at other countries and other spaces, social space, what do you think they could have done differently to be able to get to where they are that we might be able to look at and say, look, this is not working for us. Where do we move from point A to point B? That's a great question. I think looking at people who have crossed that bridge is a good place for us to learn. So I'll take a few examples. Let me take Rwanda and let me take um, the women's suffrage movement. We started in the US and the UK. It actually gained a lot of traction there. Um, let's start at home. In Rwanda, there are a few things we can learn. You know, after they had this devastating event that happened in Rwanda, killing almost a tenth of their population, um, women held a disproportionate impact of that genocide and, you know, through victims of rape and, and violence, um, you know, being caretakers of, of the families where, you know, men were being killed and they were being killed themselves. So there was a big, there was a big burden on women. 
But what we saw that Rwanda did was a few things. One, they actually had a new constitution in 2003. And what they did was bake in women's participation into the constitution with strict language. The takeaway here is it's all about the laws. It's all about the constitution. I can't wait till Honorable comes in because there's no movement that starts without law changing. There's no movement that starts without baking it into the constitution of the land. This is the, this is the law we agree on. And that's exactly what Rwanda did. Now, you know, and I know that just because it's in the, it's in the, it's in the book, it's, it's in the policy, doesn't mean it gets implemented. But let's leave that one aside because it must start with the constitution changing. So Rwanda put it into their constitution. Second thing they did, they had an active women participation forum. What they did is this women participation forum, they had strategy sessions where they figured out how do we get more women into elected government? Just because a few people put women should have 30% of roles in a constitution does not mean it just happens either. So these women got together and we strategized. How do we ensure more women get into those roles? So it's not just um, women who want to get in today. It's also a pipeline. How do we build a pipeline into the future so our young girls and our, our adolescents know that political participation is viable? And then how do we clean up today so that it's a, it's a lot more, it's a better environment for them to come into? And it's interesting to note that that same active women's forum actually uh, fought for the rules of um, anti-violence against women in politics. So even today, we're going to have to talk about, you know, what's going on. And I know, Adora, you'll, you'll, you'll touch on that. But the role of women in ensuring that the space is clean so that those who are coming ahead inherit something bolder. It's very important. Then there was education. So the women in Rwanda actually had to do a lot of education about why women's participation is beneficial to society. Again, I said it doesn't just happen. We have to be able to educate our young people in schools, our men, our other women. You know, those are traditional holders of society, those women that tell society how it ought to be. We have to educate them too because it's not only women, it's not only men that say, oh, you know, I don't know if women should really participate in politics. Sometimes we have gatekeepers who are women who say, I'm actually not sure women should participate in politics. So that education um, element needs to be entrenched into anything that we do. We don't take it for granted that people get it. And in advocacy, one of the things that we know I've been doing advocacy for a few years now. You meet people where they are. There's no need fighting them to say, you, you shouldn't be here. Here's where you are. What you need from where you are to where you ought to be. Now, that's that gap, where you are to where you ought to be, that's the gap of advocacy. The fourth thing we also found, and I think the, the final thing for Rwanda is, we need men who are advocates. The products of the system that right now is partial against women. Those men who are benefiting from the system, because, you know, if I pivot to the United States right now, there's a fight against racism, institutional racism. And I think one of the wonderful things coming out of that is it's not okay to be anti-racist. It, that's not going to solve anything. You can't say, oh, I'm not, I, I'm actually a feminist. It's not going to solve every, anything. What, what happens is that you benefit from the system because you're white. Because you benefit from the system you're white, you actually have a burden to change that system that you benefit from. Shift that case to Nigeria. Men benefit from the system because they're men. It's just how the system was built. 
So for us to change things, we need men who are beneficiaries of the system to advocate for changing the system to become equally representative. And in Rwanda, that man was Paul Kagame. He's not perfect, but he had to stand to put those things in the constitution. He had to he had to take a, a, a big a big stance for that. So so he was a a sponsor of the of the feminist movement in Rwanda in many ways. And I think it's a call to to people who benefit from the system. And in this place, because we're talking about gender, men, what is your role? What are you going to do to ensure that the system that is entrenched that benefits one gender and actually actively disenfranchises another gender? How do we change it? So for me, the takeaways are we can't do it without constitutional change, without policy change. We cannot. There's no two ways about it. That's a whole lot you have spoken about in um, compressed into the last few minutes. Right. So the, 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 the points you have made, uh, you have made are very valid, uh, very cogent and topical. I want to bring this down home to the issue around um, mentorship, right? Because you've mentioned a series of movements and series of personalities. Um, what appears to be the case is a disconnect. There are many young persons who do not even know this history that you've mentioned, that you speak about. So how are young women, are they able to be encouraged, motivated to get into politics and participate in the policy development process if they don't even know the history? So I think that there is some kind of disconnect, you know, um, a generational disconnect, whatever you call it. This is a gap we must bridge. What, in your opinion, you, you think we need to do to bridge this gap of mentorship? Thank you. But I think the first the first thing to do is get Adara to speak more about her experience, right? She ran for office. So there's there's some, we have people on this call that can share practically what to do. But actually, education is two ways. So education, education, education. When we talk about the Abar women's uh, war, it wasn't a riot, it was a war of 1829. When here at home, the women said, excuse me, you're giving us taxes. So, to colonial masters, this was not to their men. This was to colonial masters. So it's actually like two times removed of power, not just a man, but a colonial white man. To show you how ballsy these women were. But the information is out there. So, okay, you're asking how can young women understand the, our history, our rich history of, of women's participation. The information is out there. So, first and foremost, people who are aware, we need to do a better job of educating. In the same way that those in um, Rwanda educated their, their people, the same way the women's suffrage movement educated people, we don't have an excuse. We have to educate, educate, educate. Social media is replete with channels for education. So, there might be a, 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 an opportunity for us to curate all these stories and start releasing them. That would be a great sort of next step for a few organizations to do. How do we educate the minds of future women? But I have to also turn to the, to the young women. How do you yourself um, look out for information? Because we live in an age of information. There's actually now no excuse for ignorance. We might have a challenge with misinformation and disinformation, but there's actually no excuse for ignorance because we have too much information, if, if there's any such thing. Let me stretch this a little longer. Now, um, we've had, uh, you said 5% participation, right? Less than 7 or 5% that you said. Um, um, the National Assembly, uh, the situation is even pathetic. We've seen a back and forth, and we've never had uh, more than 21 
female members in the House of Reps out of 360 members at any point in time. Currently, we have just about 11 of them. In the Senate, it's about, uh, we have eight of them. We lost one recently. So you see, um, what has happened to this crop of former members of the National Assembly, of former female politicians in office? We have had female speakers, I think, in Anambra or some states. You know, we've had speakers of parliament who are female. You know, where are they? What roles are they playing? What kind of ways can we draw on their resource, you know, uh, to make them useful in mentoring young women like Adora and the rest of them who have had the courage, you know, to go into politics? Uh, is there something that we should consciously do in that regard? What are your thoughts, Sarah, please? Yeah, okay, I think there is a lot we can do. Um, mentorship is not passive, it's actually quite active. I, I like the, the fact that you showed those pictures of, of those women that were in the Senate. They're a handful, they're not very many, so we can literally map them out. Mentorship is taking someone under your wings and actually showing them the cocoa of the matter, the expo of, you know, what you're doing. And I think there's a role for mentorship. We actually see mentorship, whether it's, it's, um, deliberate, or it's, it's not deliberate. We see men doing quite a bit of active mentorship. You know, you bring someone under your wing, you show them how the things are done, they follow you places, they learn as you're going, almost like an apprenticeship model. When you serve your term, you kind of anoint them as the next people, you know, which we see that. So it's not like mentorship is a strange concept to us. But I think we need to have a lot more women active mentorship. I do think that there's a role for mimicking um, these women who have gone ahead, you know. These women who have gone ahead, you need to bring younger women in. You need to, we need to find a way to to share the wealth of knowledge about running in Nigeria. Adora mentioned something earlier. Nigeria can be unique, right? So we, we don't want to import what's happening in Rwanda here when we already have a rich wealth of information in Nigeria. So we the, the the prayer is that the women who have gone ahead are open to sharing that knowledge. So you've said quite a lot. You know, I've listened to Epia talk about mentorship, and uh, you know, uh, it brings to my mind. You know, like I said earlier, you know, off record, my experience in the field. All right, thank you so much. I mean, I take a breather from that. Um, interesting, interesting points. Uh, Sarah talked about. You cannot have policy review unless you have the right number of representation, um, be it at the states, you know, or the central or the um, federal government level. And, you know, uh, bringing Simon back and backstage, we're talking about, you know, uh, the politics of today and the future of the politics in the next, you know, election cycle. Simon, you said something very critical and you said, you know, it, it, will, take, it will take a long time. To demystify really Nigeria's politics and its way it is conducted. True, true. So I think talking about Nigerian politics, it's 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 as much as it's not where it was. I should I don't know if I should say the Nigerian political system is getting worse <laughs> from what we knew it uh, to be in the past years. But the point is, since and what we were talking about is still based on democracy. We hope and thought that uh, at about this time the political system in Nigeria would have grown from what it was. But right now we see it's it's nose diving. And it's really, really crazy. And it's not even helping women in the first place. Okay. You know, off off the mic, we talked about a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, 
most of some of the things we see right now is as a result of the system we find ourselves. Mm. Those, you know, for you to start something, you create a system. I don't think Nigeria from the beginning created a system mm. that's should I say makes it easy for women to participate in starting from the political parties, mm. you know, from from the roots down to the national level. So the system created or by whoever created the democratic process never thought as much as we we, we never felt women should be involved okay. because if this was factored in during creating the system or putting certain laws to aid the, the system grow yes. and the constitution. You would have Absolutely. seen certain things. All this gender equality we are talking about, women in politics, would have been a thing in the past. So right now, we now need to start rewriting those things. As much as some of the systems we see right now, uh, for, for some of the things we are complaining about, strictly speaking, if you look at the constitution and some, some other things, you might find it, you might, might realize that some of them are even entrenched in the constitution but we don't even know it mm. you mm. get the point So, you, you, we mentioned something earlier and someone was mentioning an act and it's there but we don't know it you, you mentioned something about the the, the, the the VAPA thing so most of this act are there but we don't know it because one, it's downplayed and right now, you know there are some unsaid things in, in, in the system you know, these are things with Inherited from the from our predecessors, and is really, you know, like there, there's something you said about the unsaid things, and I think we said it backstage. I think we just bring it up here a little. Mm. Um, you know, I have had a keen conversation with, you know, a couple, and you know, trying to get, you know, uh, not really get them thinking politics, but to get them to think governance. And you know, one of the most important things for the man was, well, he can't deal with the fact that there are nocturnal meetings that last till daybreak, you know, why does all the meetings have to be at night? And then you find a lot of, you know, sexual innuendos like we talked about where, you know, you say the men have the capacity to buy their way out because they have the financial capacity, but the women are left to sexual innuendos either by members of the party or party chairman or people who are supposedly intending to support. So, and that's also in a way gender-based violence, if you ask me. So, Not you know, violence, just say. Emotional. So, I think, you know, it is not a one-way it is not a one-way conversation. Mm-hmm. I totally believe it is not a one-way uh, conversation because I feel that uh, there are so many in between the lines to look at. One, um, I also believe that politics is local. And when I say local, I don't just mean in your village or in your rural area. It is about your immediate environment, what you're doing, how you're doing it, and who is involved. Um, I see this phone line blinking. Please, 09030-000899. And the number is 09030-000899. Or 080-999-877770. Now, um, I think that another thing I would like to say about um, going forward just before we leave here is the fact that if we had more in people intentional in government, especially in terms of looking at the laws, for instance, the VAP Act. Um, I know of a group called the Special Advisors, Young Female Special Advisors, you know, group in Nigeria. Um, currently, what they are doing, and that group is made up of all the 36 states and all the female special advisors. And I think their call is to be able to reach their state government 
and to interact with their state legislators to see how far they've gone with domesticating the VAP Act, which is a key, key conversation. Now, those are the kind of intentional steps that I would want and people would really love to see people in government, mm-hmm. you know, take. You know, it's not just to a group that belongs to the gender. It should also be pro and for gender. And that means both men and women should be in the conversation. So um, going forward, I think that one of the most important outcalls from here, this conversation we had, is um, we're not going to get any headway until we harmonize what we're asking for. Um, Secondly, I also think that we also need to know what we're asking for and how we intend to get it. So I don't know. Simon, someone also said that the media also seems to play a lot of... (laughs) So also seems to play a lot of role... uh, in mainstreaming women in politics uh, when it comes to campaign when it comes to voices the media seems to take more cue uh, from the mm-hmm. men and engage more of the men because they seem to have the money uh, for publicity and branding do you do you think that there's a place for the media to review its intentions and its steps? Uh, the point is one thing that media does is to give support to whoever is willing to, you know, come up, step up, and take responsibility. Uh, as much as media, you know, the media has always been in the system to ensure that policymakers are held accountable. The media can also go a long way in ensuring that agendas like this are actually being pushed forward. One, the constant talking about it you know one thing that media does is little issue media amplifies situation it amplifies issues so for the medias can actually be a partaker in this and i think for cso civil society organization need to take their the message aside pushing it what we see in the U.S. today, the, the, the racism we see today uh-huh, and uh-huh. everything that is going on sure. in the U.S. is sure. as a, due to the power of the media. So I think a lot of people, those pushing the agenda for uh, women in politics and all that thing, they are downplaying the power of the media. They think the CSO can do it on their own. Mm-hmm. They can actually get to these politicians and get mm-hmm. to you know their representative, tell them. It's one thing to tell your representative, and it's another thing for you to tell someone in the media to push an agenda. Because that's what the media is known for doing. But then the media, some setting. people have said, is expensive. Again, you are looking at... I mean, it's one thing to have private you know media practitioners who, who own platforms. Those platforms, after a while, need to pay itself. And mm-hmm. so, some people will tell you you need to subscribe, you need to syndicate. Again, you also even have you know the public media platforms, maybe social media influencers. These items of news are also, you know, susceptible to being subscribed for. Now, where is the thin line drawn when it comes to media being gatekeepers towards pushing, you know, gender mainstreaming, one? And then secondly, um, I I do not know if there is also a CSR for specific media organizations whereby we can look at, you know, activating that and using them to say, okay, a quarter of that, 20% of that, 30% of that, we're going to use it to push more women, you know, into the circle. Does that sound like a plan? Uh, talking about the CSR is very important. Every media organization have their CSR, what they partake in, what they give, at times they give for certain propagating certain agenda and messages. Uh, it is also important, you need to understand that no matter 
the agenda you're pushing, there's always a medium for you. Mm. Uh, not all me. You might actually take your agenda to a particular media. That's why we have hundreds and thousands of media stations, online you know, online, offline. offline for you to push your agenda. You go to one, they don't accept it. Maybe it doesn't conform with their policy and the mm. guidelines. You move to another. Definitely going through this, submitting whatever. At the end of the day, you find one or two that can actually push your agenda. Mm. And one thing is, if one media platform gets to successfully push your agenda, mm. others will pick it up mm. from there. Mm. So you get the point. So mid, I think they, they, they've downplayed, as much as we know media is very expensive, mm-hmm. there's one thing for you to push your agenda on media because we're in the media, we know how much it is. Traditional media. Traditional media. Yeah. So it's very expensive for you to do, but it is one way to get your agenda successfully pushed, especially here in this climb. In this climb. I, 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 somebody just sent in a message and she's asking a question, or rather she's making a comment. She said, Obi Ajiri Princess says, um, rewriting the constitution for women uh, in part or in this part of the world may not work at this time where the chambers, and I'm sure she's talking about the parliament, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're talking about the parliament, are filled with rubber stamps. Now, <laughs> I don't know, I do not know, but I know that um, perhaps. We can also say you should start from your own constituency mm. to evaluate whether the person representing your state is rubber stamp or not and push for the advocacy to review laws governing and guiding women uh, in politics or policy making. So I think that's I think for me that's my first response to that. But going forward, um, I think also like what Simon said, you know, in terms of you know partnering with the right intention, uh, with the right platform in the media and you know being timely. Uh, I see that the men, you know, they, 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 they have time literacy. They begin to plan well off in time. Uh, but for the women, sometimes it gets really fabricated. And so sometimes the media platforms are already overwhelmed by partnerships. But going forward, Simon, um, this is just as we close the show to take a lot of response. Um, again, when you're looking at partnering uh, for voices for women, we have seen other countries take a step. I mean, I'm not saying like Rwanda or Kenya, women should take off their tops, but I'm saying they have been intentional. Um, They have gone to the gates of the National Assembly, they have demanded to see their female representations and begin to talk about issues concerning women. Mm. Now, for us in Nigeria, do you think we wait till the diet? Do we think we'll wait until it's almost already too late to start this conversation? For instance, the issue on the VAP Act. Mm. Someone says it should have been played up right way before now amongst all the state legislators why wait till when we have seen one or two or three occurrences of sexually based violence against women yeah you know talking about that particular issue i think uh we have actually delayed the VAP act should have been passed you know allowed to be domesticated in most of the states and actually pushed for the representative to ensure that this is actually passing their state uh so quickly uh for things like this there's no no time is too late i believe no time is too late if we feel that it is necessary that we ensure that this act is domesticated and that means it is time for us to do what is needed to ensure that it is done no time is too late for for things to be done i'm just someone who believes that okay no time is too late um well 
They say time is of the essence. Time of, uh, is, is of the essence, definitely, but no time is too late. They say when you wake up, now then be your morning. So now that the women have actually woken <laughs> up to the fact that they can actually have a say, now it's time for them to start pushing and also be also not men to also help the women to, to uh, you know, to push this. All right. Thank you so much, Simon, for joining me there. I needed a male voice, uh, unbiased and, you know, non, non-organized <laughs> uh, to speak to me on that. Well, thank you. But, you know, I think a worrying factor for a lot of Nigerians is the fact that the uh, National Association of Resident Doctors of Nigeria has carried out a threat uh, by proceeding on a nationwide strike after the federal government failed to meet its demands. Now, uh, let, let's be let's be clear for posterity's sake that for the purpose of clarity, their demand was predicated upon provision of grossly inadequate, appropriate personal protective equipment for all health workers, immediate reversal of the illegal engagement of all 26 resident doctors in just university, and the payment of all salaries owed in keeping with the provisions of medical residency and training. So um, I don't know what happens to that because they are saying that they would also be asking uh, fellow members currently helping to fight coronavirus, uh, well, leave them there for only for two weeks, uh, which after they'll be directed to join the action. So I think it's very sad um, for us to be going through this right now. Ministry of Health, the federal government, uh, COVID-19 presidential task force team, please look into this. Uh, for a lot of Nigerians, this is uh, uh, Nigerians, this is very frightening. And there has been a call for a dialogue between the president and the health workers. So um, just as we say goodbye, please continue to keep safe. Remember, it is not over till it's over. Wash your hands, make sure you wear your mask, and also keep social distance if you can, not if you want to. Please, it is very, very important. If you don't have to be there, then don't go there. It's been me, yours sincerely. You can find the webinar series on Facebook and also on our Instagram page and Twitter as well. Follow us and make sure that you give up your comments as well. Um, I'd like to say goodbye. Thank you so much for your comments on social media. Thank you, Bajuru, for that uh, question and comment you sent in very earlier on in the show. I am yours truly. Adora Onyechere, thank you so much for your wishes. Goodbye and see you next week. Honestly, I don't feel okay with this isolation. Staying indoors without going anywhere is like hell for me. After these two weeks now, what the next step to take? What the way forward? I can tell you that in my constituency, I'm yet to hear somebody telling me that he has benefited from the conditional cash transfer and other programs like that. It's worrisome that this is happening. How has this been for you? First, as a lawmaker, and second, as a Nigerian. Talk to Adara. A talk show like never before. Delving deep into the hearts of social issues. Unapologetic. Engaging. Thought-provoking. A show that bridges the gap between the people and policymakers. 